show uh, for another week <laughs> it's been a couple of weeks i guess but uh, we're back again the season is on and uh, here we are so remembering that we're the show that's getting you across the game line on the hottest topics of australian rugby i'm regs roberts and joining me as per usual uh matt rowley welcome matt mate good to be back and hugh cavill how are you i'm good reg good matt good to good to be here Season started, boys, and, and we're well into it. And, and look, before we get stuck into the, the five burning questions and, and analyse all the hot topics in Australian rugby, I thought I'd ask you this question. Looking overseas, so on the back of the latest round of the Six Nations, and as a result of Italy's, uh, I guess, crafty work at the Ruck, Eddie Jones has blown up, hasn't he? He's, he's come out and publicly stated that he would retire from the game if that becomes the norm, if those Italy tactics at the Ruck become the norm. So I'm going to ask you the question, Hugh. I'll start with you. What would have to happen to the game that would force you to retire from it? You, you, Reg, I've, I've been thinking long and hard about this one, and um, we're going in the direction where, you know, this might happen soon, but my, my one is when fat guys stop playing top-level rugby. Love you know, ba- mm. you know, back in the day we had, you know, fat guys were at the bedrock of rugby, you know, at all grades, at all levels. And just slowly at the professional level, you're just seeing them die out, aren't you? And there's, you know, a few guys still, you know, you got like Paddy Ryan is probably still close and Matt Dunning back in the day and those sort of guys, um, you know, not, not men in a derogatory sense at all. Uh, but now this, these guys, there's t- the Tong and Thor's coming onto the scene, the, the props that, you know, they're, they're less props and more sort of honed athletes. Um, and it's, uh, you know, so the Franks brothers are probably similar over in New Zealand, and, and it's, it's a disturbing trend. And so once, you know, if there's, if there's no fat guys left in rugby, Reg, I, I think I'm, I'm out the door. Maybe that's the secret to um, French rugby's massive TV uh, rights deals because they still manage to have a lot of big, fat props in their teams, which is, which is clearly where the market is. Yeah. Sometimes they're in the centres as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. It is for the supermarket Love fans. It. Yeah. All right, Matty, what about you, mate? What's, what's going to break the straw that breaks the camel's back for you? Well, I was going to say it all happened last year and I'm still here. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. I thought that I thought that would have pretty much busted it. I've got to say, though, I mean, I think you expressed it, Hugh, in your um, article, you know, this week of talking about Super Rugby. I'm a bit... I, I don't remember feeling less enthused about Super Rugby than I you know, have this year. Um, having said that, I went out and watched the, the round opener of the Tars against the Force in a wet night. So obviously I'm still hopelessly optimistic. Um, look, I probably what I think is starting to get there is, I know this is a tough one in that we want to protect, you know, player safety and all the rest of it. But I don't know, some of these tackles now, um, you know, it, like for example, the, the, the tackles where players are starting to duck um, mm. and they're getting hit. So, you know, Carmichael Hunt's one, for example, where the player quite clearly ducked into it. And I realise in the end it looked bad, right? Hunt looked like the swimming, swinging arm around the guy's head, but it was purely because he, he ducked. And I, I don't know where this gets us, right? Because, you know, like they were reviewing it tonight on the new Fox Sports show, and they're saying, oh, well, you just got to, you know, if you know that a player might duck in that situation, you've got to look go for a different hit zone. And I'm like, hey... Um, yeah. You know, how do you do that? He wasn't, you know, he he was hitting around the guy's chest and ribs and the, you know, it's the thing was Mvovo, you know, ducked well into it. So I'm not quite sure where that takes us. You're hitting all of our yeah, topics, yeah, 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 exactly. 
keep talking for 40 minutes yeah. and we'll just sit here. <laughs> keep the fire in the belly, Matt. We might come back to that one. Um, uh, you know, let's table that before we, we get stuck into that issue. But uh, you're yeah, saying we're going a little soft. softer. We'll take a take a cue from the Egg Chaser boys and the old let the boys play is, seems to be the theme of that response. Um, mine, mate, yeah, and we get it regularly. Every now and again, we get this sporadic thing where the fear is that, you know, the rugby field stays the same size, but rugby players are getting bigger. The defence is getting stronger. We need to drop two guys from the team. Let's get rid of the flankers. I hear that every now and again, and it oh. infuriates me. And I'll tell you what, if that happened, game over for me. Yeah, it's league then. Yeah, exactly. No, that would be Which exactly is. But, so we won't go there. So, look, Matt's given us a bit of a, a preview of two or three of our questions <laughs> there. Um, so let's go through our five burning questions before we uh, delve into them in depth. So first question is, did the Reds live up to their hype with their first round win? What was the best Aussie performance of the weekend? Question three, should the Sunwolves be cut? Uh, question four, will the head high rulings just cause frustration or will they resolve anything? And question five, short and sharp, is James O'Connor's career over? Mm. So I think just about the only question that Matt hasn't answered yet. So let's get straight <laughs> to uh, the first one. And obviously, you know, we've been off for a couple of weeks. I'm, I'm MC, so I get to start this. And we're going to talk about the Reds straight up. Uh, so the Reds, did they live up to the height, Cavill? I'll go with you first, mate. Oh, look, I don't know if they 100% did, but they certainly showed some pretty encouraging signs. I mean, look, it's round one, so you're always a little bit... It's always a little bit hard to judge, and you can't um, sort of talk in absolutes so early in the season. Um, and we don't know if the Sharks are good or, in fact, going to be rubbish, and it was a bit of a false positive. But, look, to get a win, and, and the Reds have been struggling for now sort of the best part of three or four years, um, to, to, to chalk up a good win at home um, and... You know, to do it scoring tries, it was a pretty high-scoring game and they showed some really good signs in attack and to, to come away like they did from being what I think was 26-18 down with, with 10 minutes to play or 15 minutes to play and to come back and win, um, you, you know, I think you've got to be happy about that. And look, the, the old stage is coming back. I thought Scotty Higgers was good. I thought Quaid had his moments and I think he looked like he he um, is finding his feet again and he, he just... Uh, was taking on the line a bit more. He looked like he had that found that sort of half half step of pace um, to get to get through those gaps and to get around the ruck. Uh, look, you, you know, I don't know if I'd be putting them in there as as finals contenders yet. Um, but th- I think if I was a Reds fan, Reg, and I'd like to get your perspective on this, watching it. But uh, uh, you know, uh, th- there was certainly some scrappy moments, and Nick Frisby um, kicked the ball out on the full about seven or eight times. But um, you know. W- I think at the core of it was a, was a pretty solid performance for round one. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely happy with the performance, mate. I'll, I'll take a win in, in round one um, after the few years we've had. I'll take a win in, in any season for after what we've had the last few years. Um, the hype's an interesting question. I don't know who bloody well write these questions, but idiot, what hype has there been? <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah, you know, there's definitely been. It's been interesting. I keep expecting the hype to come, and there's been no doubt we've been talked up, you know, and you don't get the signings we have. But I think there's still a real wariness amongst Reds fans. Maybe it's a bit of um, uh, battle weariness over the last few years that they don't want to talk too too loudly and proudly about the potential that may be this season. And uh, we should be talking about it. I mean, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't, given the, the quality of the talent we've got to come in. I guess there are might be a couple of questions there is some concern that the systems that were in play previously are still there i think you know we've got a young coaching staff styles is obviously um 
hasn't head coached before at this level, and then you've got Shane Arnold and Jason Gilmore around him, and even Brad Thorne hasn't done a lot of coaching. Great name that he is. So, yeah, a bit of wariness on that. Um, you know, what impressed me about most about that team was the youngies, the, the work from the young guys. I thought, you know, Pei Ur at centre and Adam Korzik was sensational. Um, and then off the bench, yeah, Isaac Rodder and, and, and Tuttle and, and Fahagazi, as per usual. I was sorry, Fahagazi from as prop were all excellent, really, really big contributions. So, uh, yeah, Higgins, you're right, was fantastic. So um, that's great. But yeah, it need a lot more frisbee quiet. That that combo didn't quite click, didn't they? There's a lot of sort of errors and mistakes there. So that's the thing that uh, stops us from living up to the hype because I think the hype revolves around Quaid being back to his magical best. And if, if that comes back, who knows what might come out of it, particularly considering Karevi was uh, pretty damn sensational, had a big impact on the game at least. Mm. Um, Matty, what, what do you think? Yeah, mate, look, uh, you guys have done all the positives, so I think I should just yeah, yeah, focus dig in. in on bagging. No, look, I, I thought it was, you know, to get a managed win like that, as you said, in, um, you know, to claw your way back in that first round was great. It clearly wasn't all firing. I thought the dead, no. the dead ball area did a great piece of analysis. If you haven't seen it, check it out um, on the website where he goes through in a bit of detail, you know, about, you know, decision-making, um, you know, throughout the game. And then I think that combination between, you know, Frisbee and, and Quaid clearly wasn't quite working yet. Um, I saw somebody else on Twitter. You'll know who you are if you listen to this. Um, you know, sort of saying he, he was quite interested, though, that Quaid seemed to be playing, you know, a fair bit flatter um, than he had sort of previously and how he would with, with uh, Genia. So, um, mm. and if he keeps doing that, I, I think that could, that, could, that could look good. So, look, at the moment, it's kind of hard to know. I mean, at the end of the day, would they score four tries? Um, you know, yep. and, and came from behind, you know, winning first round. I think you'd take that. Um, it's just whether this is a kind of a wobble and they manage to hold it together and it goes south or whether this is just, you know, um, them getting it together and, and, they, and they power on from here. But the, I, I did tweet also, and it's one of these tweets that got actually a really interesting reaction, as in it got more reactions than I thought I, than it would, um, was just, you know, what a privilege it was. It feels like a privilege when you're watching George Smith. Just, oh, it's remarkable, isn't it? Just the quality that the guy has and does in everything he does. And actually, there was quite a few times, actually, and Graham Forbes um, com commented on this, there's a few times when you see him kind of look up and go, guys, what are you doing? Like, you know, <laughs> I've just made a break, you know, or, you know. Or, you know Where are you? Yeah, you know, where's everybody else sort of thing. And, um, yeah, he, you get the feeling he's going to have a massive impact throughout the, this season. Well, the, the one guy I'll give a shout-out to, Reg, um, yep. before you go off into George Smith, a <laughs> um, uh, little tirade there. But uh, the guy I think is the key, one of the keys, and it's sort of flown under the radar a bit in all the Quaid and Karevi and um, Frisbee talk, is is Duncan Paouia, um at 12. Yeah. And I thought he was actually very good, and it's a position where the Reds have struggled for, you know, for a long time, and even in their glory days, never really nailed down with what Ant Fienger was doing. Um, and um, and they had Benny Taps there for a while, and I think last year, I can't even remember who was playing there last year to show. Um, but, uh, you know, he Henry, ran a beautiful line for that. Yeah. That's right. Um, but uh, Peiui ran a beautiful line for that last try um, and put away uh, Tuttle really well there. And I think it's a, it's a little bit of a key to taking pressure off Quaid. He's got those instincts as a 10 um, and he can kick a little bit as well. And, and hopefully you, you, you get the impression that he might be a, a more of a key man as the year goes on, linking Quaid and Karevi. 
Yeah, I, I, you're bang on. I, I mentioned Duncan before, and I think he's a wonderful player. I remember when the Reds signed him. I think I was still at the Reds at the time myself, and I had never heard of him and sort of sidled over to one of the senior game development guys whose opinion I highly respect and said, you know, what's the inside word on this guy? And he just he just nodded, sort of winked and said, this guy is the goods. And we haven't seen much of it. I think that, that he made his debut that year off the bench in the first game and might have injured himself straight away. So we didn't see much from that first year. A few good glimpses in the NRC last year, but yeah, he's a really important player, that link between Quaid and Karebi. It'll allow Quaid to play a little bit, uh, I guess, deeper and and, and, and uh, vary his attack a little bit, and, and Duncan will be the man that can step in there and distribute. And he's a solid defender, a bit of a background in the league as well, so yeah, good man. Just going back to George Smith, you bang on, Matt. I mean, it's bizarre watching him. I still can't get my head around the fact that he's playing for the Reds. It just seems like <laughs> what I'm saying, one of my dreams from many years ago, but it, it just doesn't seem <laughs> right, but it's it's happening. It's great. Yeah, it's so wrong. But anyway, it's still... It's, uh, no, it's great to see him. It's a privilege. It is. And now, look, I could go on about the Reds all, all evening, but we've got uh, other teams to, to go on here. And, and I guess the question is, you know, it, and you talk about the Reds, and you're right, it wasn't... Um, uh, you know, a clinical performance wasn't them as what we'd expect them to be at their best. Mixed round for the rest of the teams. The, the if we talk about best performances, we can we can write a, a big black line through one of those straight away, and that's that Blues 56 over the Rebels 18. Mm. Um, but the other two games were the the Brumbies doing pretty decently against the Crusaders over in uh, over in New Zealand. They're going down 17-13, and then obviously another local derby that uh, you guys saw the, the force and the Tars with the Tars getting up. So, Matt, what's what's your thoughts? I mean, I guess touch on that game you saw live, the Tars and force, but where do you think it lies in terms of impressive performances? Well, look, um, as I as we waited to go into, into see the Tars, we got there early, and I was, as I demolished um, some fish and chips and a few beers, uh, on the big screen, I was watching the Brumbies game. And um, so I, I can't say... <laughs> I uh, watched it in forensic detail, but it struck me, you know, they were still in that game right up to the final whistle. Um, so, which is an amazing effort, I think, going to Christchurch, uh, and especially considering how well the rest of the Kiwi teams did throughout the round. So, I don't know, just in, in pure gut feel and, and, and in what team I felt was kind of most in it, considering the circumstances, I think I'd have to hand it to the Brumbies, even though they lost, um, sadly. But, um, yeah, I thought the Brumbies did really, really well. Hard to pick a real winner out of the Tars and the Force. It was a pretty frustrating game. Um, you know, the pill was really wet. But I just, you know, there were so many players who weren't firing, um, I thought, for both sides, maybe especially the Tars. Um, it, it was just one of those games where it was just at the ground. It was a bit of a damp squib. And you just kind of thought, yep. you know, I'm not sure how many people are going to come back for too many of these. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, out, out of all those, and like you say, the, the Rebels were just, yeah, that, that's really disappointing, you know, to start your season like that. Um, I think McGann would have been tearing his hair out um, with a lot that was going on. Cause, and for a while there, it looked okay, and then just kind of, you know, well, maybe a quarter, it looked okay, and then just really fell apart. Yeah. I'd have to, so I'd have to go, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say Brumbies. Yeah, good call. Big. I mean, I think the stats were Brumbies haven't beaten the Crusaders... So mid 2000s maybe, but the Crusaders hasn't won their first. They hadn't won their first game at home, or first game of the tournament since 2010 maybe. So it was a bit of a, uh, a record breaker, regardless. Either way, what about you, Matt? Uh, sorry, Hugh. What, how do you see this one? Yeah, look, the Brumbies were certainly laudable. Uh, I think the guys on the report card 
did point out, and you sort of mentioned there, Reg, the Crusaders have never been the best starters. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm not going to lavish praise on them for a close loss in Christchurch, you know, even though he might be the closest an Australian team gets to winning in New Zealand this year. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, and you can't exactly say that the, um, the Tars or the Force played particularly well. It, you know, it had it. You knew what the game was the moment you, you the the TV coverage started and it was raining and and um, everyone's sort of heart sank and and knowing that knowing that the Force and Tars tend not to produce great contests as it is, let alone in round one in wet conditions. So um, Matt, you you were brave, pretty brave to go into that uh, knowing knowing what would happen. It's stupid. Um, yeah, look, but you know both teams weren't weren't horrible. I think. You know, they well, were, they were been a bit, worse um, years, yeah. handcuffs by the conditions, but um, I've, I've seen worse games and, and certainly both teams, you know, will, will, will keep going and have some reasonable prospects. But um, the Rebels too, look, I mean, actually at halftime, I think or just before halftime, they should have been ahead by 10, you know. Yeah. I think it was 18-10 and they'd missed about five kicks. So you thought, here we go, they you know, they're going really well, but um, fell away. So, look, I'm giving it to the Reds, Reg. Best performance, the Reds. Winners are Grinners, and, um, yeah, but not a, hardly a stellar field. Yeah, no, it isn't. It's a real struggle. It's a tough question, that one. This and the Rebels, I mean, they suffered from, and I'm not going to blame, you know, put this down as the reason of the loss, but, geez, I've lost some outside backs. I mean, Naavala and Corabetti weren't available. Dom Shipley wasn't available. Um, Palmer Fowl, one of their backups, wasn't available. Um there's a couple more there I can't remember. And then locks, you know, both Jeffries and Cummings and Day and uh, I think Retallick, oh, Alex Toulis was injured as well. So, you know, that vertical injuries or whatever way you call it, multiple injuries in the same position can knock any squad down. But, um, yeah, the, the Rebels are diabolical. It, Matt, it did, having seen the force, I mean, it's a big year for them. They've really got to, to aim up on the field and, and their fans and all that sort of stuff. A lot's been happening in the off-season. What do you read of them? Do you give them much hope? This year, I guess. I don't know. Look, they looked a little bit more clinical than they've been in the past. As in, you know, they looked, you know, they got in the red zone and scored a try. And, you know, for the force in the past, that's been a real problem. So, um, you know, you'd hope that Haylett Petty, who actually didn't have a brilliant game, really, um, no. on the weekend. But, you know, we know the sort of class he can bring. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, just while we're on sort of performances and pairings, I thought, you know, the problem on the other side of that, field then was that the Tars inside backs with Foley out, um, they had Hegarty in, and then obviously he's pe- pe- uh, paired up with the the new kid at 12. Um, Simone, yeah. yeah. And look, oh, you can see that there's future there, but they really struggled, um, you know, to get any sort of penetration. Uh, Tolu Latu had an amazing game. Uh, mm. um, you know, he was like the, 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 the real open side on the field. I think he got three turnovers, I can remember. Um it was it was a classic Tolulatu game because he gave away about five penalties as well. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's Tolulatu can do the most incredible things, yeah. I mean the most boneheaded things within the, a space of seconds. You know, yeah. and the way he got over that ball was truly remarkable. And he had a couple of great runs with the ball. He's got great handling skills, but uh, I'm I'm not ready to put him in a gold jumper yet. I just have a I just see him. You know, when we're three points up in a Bundesliga with two minutes to play. You know, running out and, and coat hanging someone in you know, on, yeah. he is yeah, com- tripping tripping the ref or something. He is like. a complete maniac. <laughs> he is. There was a couple of times I saw him get close, like get away with stuff because he missed or something. Um, yeah, he is a complete maniac, but um, clearly talented. I thought Geordie Reed for the Rebels 
um, you know, really stuck out. Uh, I thought he was doing like the work of about three or four different people who hadn't really showed up. Um, so yeah, that, that was the kind of some of the standouts for me, but, uh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about interesting performance. We're going to go to question three here and here we are. This is the hurricanes, uh, taking on the Sunwolves over there in, uh, in Tokyo. I think it was 83 to 17. It was in the end. And it's fair to say that, uh, the hurricanes t- seemed to ease up. I mean, they actually brought on Dan Coles and Bowden Barrett at this time, but the, the, the Sunwolf scored a few late tries and the Hurricanes, they must have scored their 80th point, um, you know, quite early on uh, for them. Um, I'm just looking at some of the stats. The stats are pretty interesting for this game because it's actually pretty 50-50 in possession and territory. But uh, the 13 tries to three, the uh, 43 defenders be- uh, beaten, the um, 43, ironically, missed tackles by the, by the Sunwolves. It was a diabolical, diabolical performance. It was embarrassing, and I, so I, I guess the question comes. Uh, and Hugh, I'll go to you because you've actually written a pretty decent, uh, a very good article about <laughs> more you. broadly the structure. Very <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep it up, Hugh. You're doing a great job. We're really impressed. Um, but you know, a, a, a relevant article about the structure of Super Rugby going forward, and the Sunwolves are a part of that. Um, I guess the question is, should the Sunwolves be cut? Yeah, yeah, they should. Um, and that was a pretty embarrassing effort and, and looks like, look, against the Hurricanes, the probably the best side of the comp in round one is, and they've only been together for the space of, it seems like, a, a 10 days. Um, but um, it's it's not good enough. And, you know, broadly speaking, as I argued in my article um, yesterday, and, and anyone uh, listening to this should go check it out on the site, but um, it's, Sands are of coming up to another negotiating point for their next what the competition is going to look like next year, and they need to make a decision. Um, and that might come in the next week. And I think for too long they've been putting commercial concerns ahead of rugby concerns. And that's understandable in the current climate and with the threat of Northern Hemisphere and, and, and all those sorts of factors. But I think they've gone too far, and I think we need a bit of a recorrection. And, and I'm not normally sort of old man rally on this, but I've, 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 <laughs> I've gone full full into it. And, and we really need to to go back to what it, what it used to be and, and have that super, you know, I'm not going to go back and say super 12, but super 15, you know, where there's enough to have a, just a simple round robin competition with a final series. Um, we can cut the Kings, we can cut the Sunwolves, and we can cut one of the Australian teams because it's, it's just not working. There's too many teams that are year after year, non-competitive, also rounds, and there's too many meaningless games. And, and these days, content is king. I understand that, and all TV rights deals are based on how many games you can provide. It doesn't matter what the quality is. But um, I, I feel like the ratings are falling. The interest falling. The comps structure is confusing because people don't know who the teams are, where they come from, what the final system is. And, and, they're, and they're turning off. And so getting back to a, a structure where it's easy to understand and, and the games mean something and they're high quality, um, I think is, is the way forward for the comp. But, um, uh, but I mean, it's a pretty pretty divisive issue, um, Reg, and, and uh, certainly cutting in Australian teams is not going to be a, an easy decision for the AU, but um, it's, it's something where I think we need to go. Well, give me, I'll give you an example of how nuts this is now. It's like uh, the Waratahs, you know, tweeted out after Saturday night, you know, basically, um, you know, thanks for coming along and da 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 see you in a month, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, we don't, you know, so how are you supposed to follow a team like that? 
Um, you know, so it's just, you know, you talk about how, you know, if you follow a, a AFL team or, you know, a league team, um, you're going to be able to see them, you know, at home every other week, you know, and you can probably yeah. go to a few of the away games too. And, you know, this is just nuts. Um, there's, and, and, and I've, you know, I've been in talking to the guys at the Tars, for example, and, and they could see it all coming and they said, this is just a disaster. How are we supposed to keep this thing going? You know, when really they, they, you know, they rely on gate receipts to make the difference, to basically get them over the line. Um, and, you know, this sort of schedule just absolutely blows it out of the water. It's just, it's, it's gone to absolute nonsense. And here's the thing. I mean, I think if any of us expect Andy Marinus to vote for not having two South African conferences, then you're smoking yeah. crack. Because that's what this whole thing is about. And um, whatever they can do to prop up um, whatever rorts they've got going on with South African rugby and now what that means as far as the amount of money they can suck out of um, this, you know, the, the whole Sansar TV deal. Um, yeah, I think we're in a place where it's going to go down the crapper before anyone makes any sensible decisions. Yeah, that's all scary. Look, oh, to, to touch on the, the Sunwolf stuff, they're terrible. They've got to go. And look, people are throwing up the case that they've got, um, you know, there's a good crowd and good atmosphere it's not enough. You know, I mean, you, you can't factor in a, a decent crowd over there and not consider the impact it has on crowds over here. It just belittles the tournament. And I know even, you know, people, casual fans see that score and just go, this tournament's not something we I want to engage in. You know, even if it's not the Sunwolves game over here in Australia that they're not attending, it's, it's other games on the back of how ridiculous this tournament is. Um, they're not up to it, and they're never going to be up to it. I mean, the fact that the Japanese competition finishes, what, three weeks before Super Rugby starts, the preseason is never going to be good, big enough for them. You know, they're not going to be able to form this combinations they need to, to get it done. Now, that, I think they've got a squad of 58 they're functioning on at the moment, which is just ludicrous. It just doesn't make sense. I, I think that it's, it's one of the worst decisions Sansa have ever made. Now, broadening to that, to the future of the game, you, you're right here. You're bang on. I mean, they've got to go. One of the South African teams has got to go. Who makes that decision? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if Andy Marinos gets a vote. Isn't he the paid employee? Shouldn't he just be, you know, putting it up for the case and and um, the the actual members of the organisation voting on for I don't know, but I, I, I want to see five Australian teams. But like you say, those sorts of stats on the Waratahs not playing at home for another month doesn't make sense. And, and you know, I, the model for what is the future is a hard one. And, and you know, I've heard people start that the parochialism has come back into the in, into the sport. You know, I feel in terms of you know that. It's what makes the AFL and what makes the NRL strong. It's that the strength is that parochialism around teams. And you don't get it with teams called the Reds or the Brumbies or the, the Waratahs. It's it's not there. It's about what's behind them and the traditions there. And maybe it needs to be rebuilt completely, you know, that it's it's back to a domestic competition. I don't know. Um, but this Super Rugby competition is, is ridiculous. And there'll be good games every now and again, but it's got, it's hard to get any continuity out of it. And, and, and that's, that's got to have an impact on, on every aspect, the crowds and, and even what was 15,000 to the Reds game. It was 10,000 to the, to the Rebels game. I don't know what was at the, the Tars game, but even the, the ratings were, were pretty dire. The, the Tars force, which was, it was peak hour on a Saturday night. 
got a hundred thousand, I reckon the the league teams would would laugh at that, wouldn't they? I mean, that's a it's a pretty average sort of hundred thousand. Not horrible for that sort of a game, but isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. It's it's generally anything in three in over a hundred thousand for Super Rugby is a good result for us. But yep. the thing is that I've got this feeling this week, Reg. And look, yeah, look, we can knock the whole thing down and rebuild it, but realistically, that's not going to happen. So we, you know, it it is what we've got and what we're going to have for the foreseeable future. Um, as much as I'd like to go to something trans-Tasman or even completely domestic. But you look at the Rebels and you look at the Force, and it's another year, and they're not going to finish in the top 10. I mean, I'm going to, you know, I can come out with egg on my face later in, later in the year and more than happy to, if, if that's the case. But I can already pretty much predict from round one that Rebels and Force are going to be in the bottom, bottom six, bottom seven teams, as they have been every year except once when the force came, what, eighth, you know? Like, so what's the end game here? You know, what's, when are they going to, how much longer are we going to tolerate them being, you know, not shit, but, you know, like being poor and, yep, coming out and beating a Crusaders one, once, a, once a year, but really then underperforming, you know, and losing games at home and, and sort of coming out in the bottom, bottom half of the comp. I mean, because the Rebels, it's what, year seven, year eight now? Force is year 10, year 11. Like, are we going to keep going on this ad infinitum? Are we going to be sitting here in 10 more years' time going, yet yeah, the Force have had 20 years and never been in the top six? Little, never been in the top six, let alone compete for the competition. You know, they're not... That's just a complete um, pipe dream for them. It's, it's a fantasy that they, they might actually hold up the trophy. So... I don't know. Look, I understand it from a development standpoint that, yep, they're producing some good players and your Dane Hallett-Petties and your Adam Coleman's and your LaPetty-Tamani's and, your, you know, these guys, Sean McMahon's. But, I mean, at a certain point, it can't just exist for development's sake, you know. They've got to start winning games or else, you know, it undermines the integrity of the competition. And I think that's already happened. I think the integrity of the competition's dropping away every year and that's linked to the Sunwolves and it's linked to, you know, this complete imbalance now where it's just the New Zealand teams first and then everyone competes for the scraps of, of to, to lose in the grand final or to lose in the semi-final to, to whatever New Zealand teams uh, you come up against. It's it's a bit depressing um, and there's still some good rugby to be played and I'm, I'll be cheering on the Australian teams but I mean it, you, you, I think there is a certain fatalism that's, that's um, unless Sanzar can, can snap out of it with a big decision in the coming month um that it's just sort of the same old same old yeah look here's the thing is i don't understand where this gets to either and and so you know whenever this comes up and we talk about well you know we need to you know maybe cut you know let's say you're going to cut melbourne i think there was a bunch of guys who jumped in the comments on your article and i mean there's some really good you know thought out and uh thoughtful discussion on that article i thought but um I don't get the argument which then goes, oh, but if you do that, you lose that market and it's a big sporting market and, and you'll never grow. And then you know, the next one is Japan. Oh, that's a massive big dollars. Yeah. You know, and, and everyone was going yeah. on about this. Oh, these, these big, big dollars that you get by pulling that in. And the next one's the States. And that's all those big, big dollars that you pull in. No. The only thing that kept this TV deal going was um, the, the UK deal. That, mm. that that BT's fighting with Sky Sports over there, and so you've got an anomaly in the market where there was, you know, two people hungry for for rugby content. That's the only thing driving it. It's not any of these other markets that we've been opening up that's going to turn this into a suddenly fantastic competition. And so, as you as we keep develop uh, de- devaluing this competition to a point where 
no one really gives much of a staff. And, and if you look at either the attendance numbers or the viewership numbers, they're all going in one direction, even with these new markets. Um, do we just get to a point where it just go? I, I fear we're going to get to a point when the, the market recorrects and the emperor's new clothes are spotted. And they just go, why would the hell would we pay this much money for this? This is, this is yep. nuts. Um, and or, you know, God knows what happens with, you know, Sky and Super Sports and they have some sort of a correction because, you know, the TV market isn't exactly um, solid at the moment and the cable market. And so, you know, you, you, you know, something like that happens and you're left with this nonsense competition that no one really wants to watch. And, and it's just, I, you know, with all these different franchises, which just then collapse. Because um, I just think we've got so far away from our knitting, which is I remember when it was whatever it was, Super Tens, and you were watching, t you know, test quality rugby. It was only so many games a year. It was, you know, of high, high value. Um, I don't know. Just how much can you dilute it? Yeah, and it gets back to, you know, it's it's almost you need someone different making, you know, making the decisions, the strategy to grow this game. It's, it seems so incestuous now that it's Sands are, you know, driving. It's not as if there's, you know, there's a strategy. They're just taking the money. Like you say, do you get the impression Fox are looking for rugby content? I keep seeing, you know, they've actually done a good job behind the NRC and increased that. You know, they broadcast the Australian Club Championships on the weekend and there's talk that they want to do more with club. I think they actually want some quality rugby content. And, and to me, that's almost seems like they're, you know, they're disappointed in what they're getting out of Super Rugby. They're not getting anything at the decent time. They're not getting, you know, decent games. I think they're struggling for content there. It's, I think you're right, Matt. I think no point growing it with potential audience. Let's get an actual audience. And, and we know where that actual audience is going to come from. It's it's from uh, where it was in the past. It's the same grounds. And, you know, it, if, if we get the structure right, we might be able to grow again, but not before we get the base right again. And it's just, it's terrible at the moment. Yeah, and, and look, to, to Force fans and Rebels fans, and, um, you know, it's, it's not a, you know... So a few people took it pretty personally, I think. Or it seems any time you talk about this stuff, you, you, you should have hounded down by a certain certain faction of those fans. And I understand that, you know, seeing your team cut would be a horrible, horrible thing. And, yeah. and it's very easy to argue from the safety of being a Waratahs fan or a Reds fan. I, I certainly acknowledge that. But, um, yeah, the, the, it just, it just yeah, as it doesn't look sustainable to me that, that um, we can have both of these teams just continually underperform. And, and it's not for lack of effort on the, t the part of the teams themselves, but I just think it looks like our talent's probably stretched a little bit too thin and we just can't quite get a, get have five competitive teams. So hopefully, you know, you, you hope that four teams and it, that it's a bit tighter, a bit more competitive, better squads, deeper squads, and we can actually win some games and, and have a few couple of teams competing every year as opposed to just one. And, and, and that success sees, you know, the success drives gate takings, and it's no yeah. coincidence that the the biggest gate taking years are the ones where we win. You know, Australian sporting public are pretty fickle like that. So, win more games, make more money from from a local perspective, and I think that the way to do that's probably with four teams. Yep. All right. Um, well, let's see how that develops. As you say, Sansa ruling's coming out pretty soon, so we might see some uh, some answers there sooner or later, sooner rather than later. But just um, we move on there, Rich. Yeah, go on. I was, I was just looking at those stats for the Sunwolf game as well, and yeah, you yeah. see that they actually they shaded the Hurricanes in both possession and territory. Yeah, uh, I know. I know. It's ridiculous. And, and, and yet went down eighty three point seventeen. It's mind blowing. Those stats. Yeah. 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 Bloody hell. There's, 
there's a lot of the stats that match up in, in terms of carries and yeah. and um, <laughs> passes and offloads. Even they, it's it's pretty. And it, you know, the Hurricanes actually made more tackles than the than the Sunwolves. Um, I guess the Sunwolves missed a thousand, but yeah, yeah. it's it's the stats are pretty interesting. Yeah, men and boys, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, all right, let's move on to question four there. And this is, and you know, Matt's given a pricey, so I'm going to go straight to you, Matt. <laughs> the head high, head high rulings. Just more frustration, or are we going to get some sort of resolve anything out of it? Well, here's the thing. So I guess I described one of those, which was the Carmichael Hunt thing. Um, and I think a few of us saw, uh, many of us saw this coming. I think we might have even discussed it on a previous podcast where we were saying, you know, when we saw the ruling coming into the sevens, um, and, you know, where th- th- this whole any contact, you know, basically above the shoulders, um, you know, was going to be a, a problem is that you started going, well, hang on, what happens if someone goes a bit lower? You know, just stick your head down and mm. run. Um, you know, you, you're quite likely to get, a, a, you know, hit around the chops, um, you know, every other time. And and so that's what we saw. We saw the Carmichael Hunt thing. And I was like, oh, geez, I don't know how you, you know, and then it, people are trying to just explain it away and say, oh, you just got to have a different, um, you know, tackle zone if you think someone might duck in. So that's that's a bit tough. But then the other thing then I saw was, uh, and I could, I was blown away by this was, if that's so that's what we're kind of getting used to. Any so anything around the head or neck is a disaster. And then there was the Michael the clean out on Michael Hooper by the Force Twelve. Um, yeah, me. Uh, yeah, really makes, yeah. Um, which was like a full on coat hanger you know, whack the guy to the ground. And, okay, I get he wasn't at he wasn't standing bolt upright, but then, you know, Meeks came diving over the top of a ruck and basically co-tangled him, and it was nothing. Or was, was it even a penalty? I don't think it was a penalty, was it? Um, definitely wasn't a yellow. Yeah, uh, yeah it was a penalty. penalty. It was a penalty, no yellow. Well, was it wasn't a yellow. So, I don't know. I was just left, you know. So, there's – obviously, there's some sort of inconsistency. I think I've heard someone say that the refs – because I obviously was there, so I didn't hear what the refs were saying to each other that – Maybe he was already falling backwards when he got hit. I don't really see how that really um, pulls that one down. But anyway, so yeah, look, you know, yours confused and definitely don't understand how this plays out. If it's you know, um, you know, how this just doesn't turn into a, a yellow card slash penalty factory. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is, and I think you're bang on in terms of consistency. Look, I don't mind getting away from the head, you know. The, mm. You know, and M- MST's Tuesday top five, I think, captures it pretty well. Kane Douglas did a similar thing to the Billy Meeks, kind of did the clear out at the ruck. I'm happy with that. That's a penalty in a yellow. He effectively grabbed him around the neck. That's as much one of those. What are they calling the crocodile rolls? But a standing one. So happy with that. The hunt one's really hard. I mean, I might have been satisfied with the penalty. I thought yellow was really hard because Lavova was clearly going down. Hunt can't plan for that. Mm. He's coming to make a strong tackle, and we, you know, you know the game. You know these guys are making the tackles to, to try and get him into touch, which is exactly the reaction um, the Sharks winger sort of anticipated and and changed his body shape to do that. So that's a really hard one. But then there's other moments in the match, like uh, MST has pointed out, where Karevi was taken um, uh, around the around the neck pretty clearly too. Um, I think in, a, in another another ruck situation. So you know, if they are nailing it, let's nail them. You know, let's, let's not make it bits and pieces type position here. But uh, 
you know, the, the, the inconsistencies there. And I think it's always one of these early season stuff. It'll be interesting to see if they maintain for the season and or two if teams adapt and if they are change things, uh, change things for the better and are going lower. I may open up offloads and all that sort of thing. But the consistency is the main thing. And, and I don't think we saw much of that on the weekend. Hugh, are you got an opinion on this one, mate? Uh, I'm, I'm 100% with you, Reg. I mean, I was re- I was watching the Tars game with my dad and we had the similar thing. If, 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 if you're going to have these rules, um, you, you're going to have these rules that in place, but, but you've you got you to gotta blow them, you know? We've been mm. told that the high tackle is going to be cracked down on and you can't pick and choose that. you either got to crack down or you can't. So you can't blow up one, blow up um, Kane Douglas for, for for doing what he did, and then two plays later let a similar thing go. You know, it's, and that was what was happening was you'd see high tackle and it'd be ignored, and then one would be blown. You know, I think the refs are a little bit mindful of not wanting to have the game descend into a, a penalty fest. But see, I, I don't mind blowing up high tackles. That's a that's a no. technical flaw yep. that people should be able to avoid. The thing I have more of more of a problem with is the yellow card that James Dargaville got in the Brumbies game. Which yep. you know is he was making a rugby play and was had no malice at all and there was no technical flaws in what he did, but simply because of the fact that Israel Dag jumped up and and jumped over him and fell awkwardly, then he's he's off the field with a yellow. You know, I feel like that's where the rules have got to got to change or that's where the rules have gone too far because you know a high tackle you've got no excuse. You know what the rules are and and you, you've got to get your tackles low and that's always been the case. Um, and there's an easy way for players to avoid that if, um, you know, if they know what they're doing. But with what Dargaville did, well, you, you're just running for the ball. You know, there's, there's no way to avoid that at all. I, I, you know, short of him hurling himself into the air recklessly um, just to get up in the air and make it seem like a contest. Like, I, I think that's, that's the area where I'm a bit more um, aggrieved with, with what the referees are doing. Yeah, I agree. Rugby's a, a game of contest is what sets it apart from other codes. It, it's contest and there should be contest in all aspects. And that that is a legitimate contest. Let's let's move on from the head high thing. And we, we talk about uh, the laws of the game and interpretations and I guess how people, teams adjust to them. And, and I l- alluded to this in the intro. But what about England and Italy, Matt? Did you, did you have you caught up with what's happened there and I guess the reaction from it? What's what's your reading on that one? Yeah, I did actually. There's um some great there's a couple of great videos on YouTube I can recommend anyone to see and if I can remember I'll um stick it underneath uh, the the podcast here tonight. But um yeah, it you know, if anyone's been living under a rock, basically um, Italy came out against um, England, I think it was at Twickenham. And uh, just employed that tactic. Who did we see do it? Was it the Chiefs or the Highlanders did it a little bit last year? Where the Chiefs did it, yeah. Yeah, where they basically said, uh, like, the tackle would be made and they, and then everyone else would just stand off and say, there's no ruck, it's just a tackle. Mm. And then what they do is, especially the number nine would then, and I think it was more Parisi, the number eight, and then the number nine would then run around and basically shield Danny care from being able to pass to anyone else, basically, because mm. what, what he can't, what they can't do is sort of, uh, is tackle them or I think go for the ball, because um, you know I guess they have to kind of come from a more of an onside position to be able to do that. A question mark. But anyway, what, what they basically do is just, you know, get get themselves in the way, and it absolutely um, stumped England. Um, and there were rabbits in the headlights. And the thing is, they did it right throughout the whole game. I mean, they did it even towards the end. And what would happen is is then, um, you know, the, the England captain and then, oh, what's his name, the, the number eight who looks like the, the big guy at a Monsters, Inc. 
Uh, um, Marshall. Uh, uh, yeah, Nathan Hughes. Nathan Hughes. Yeah, no, yeah, not yeah, Sorry, but it wasn't number eight. It was the number six. Anyway, Haskell. Haskell. Yeah, you know, they basically, you know, they actually were asking, uh, was it Poit, I think, the referee, what's going on? Yep. And, uh, and he actually said, look, mate, I'm not your coach, I'm the referee. Um, it's not a, you know, it's not a ruck, it's just a tackle. So, you know, you know, you know, uh, you know basically figure it out yourselves. And what was really interesting was the Poms had no, couldn't think their way out of it. The only thing, rather than like, they obviously had their structures down so pat, and I think all of us who've seen an Eddie Jones team mm, exactly. know that it's by rote, okay? Yep. Exactly the number of people who commit to a ruck, what you're going to do from it, who's going to run next, and all the rest of it. And the Poms were just stuck at, like rabbits in the headlights, and obviously you would say the play would be to do a pick and drive, right? And just mm, exactly. and, 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 make, yep. and make it their problem. Poms didn't do that at all. In fact, the only thing they did do was then try the same tactic back on the Italians, and it kind mm. of worked, kind of didn't. Um, so anyway, upshot is Eddie Jones then blows up, and as you said at the top of the show, you know says that you know rugby shouldn't be like this, and it should be a competition, and this is making a mockery of it all, basically because he got shown up by it. Um, Eddie Jones has always been happy to use little little variations to his benefit wherever whenever he could in the past, um, and now even I saw just tonight that you know the Poms are talking about trying to get rugby, um, world rugby, to relook at this this ruling. Um, and put some pressure on it. So I don't know. It's it's kind of it's, it's kind of got to an all black level of indignation. Yeah. Look, I, 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 Eddie Jones. I reckon part of his outburst was to deflect from a, a pretty poor uh, England performance. You know, ad- admittedly with a bit of a second team. I was staggered by the response of guys like Matt Dawson. Oh, maybe not so much Matt Dawson <laughs> and Delalio, who Lawrence Delalio, who both came out just you know ludicrous. The, the Dawson was just outlandishly saying that it was terrible, terrible rugby. It's not what we're all about and it's not what the TV broadcasters. And Delalio was insinuating, uh, you know, as if you could expect players to understand the rules at a ruck, what the ruck rules are. And I was <laughs> like, that's, I mean, maybe you've done junior coaching. That's what you learn as a junior coach in grade eight. Okay, this is what a tackle is. This is what a ruck is. This is what a maul is. I yeah. couldn't get my head around it. It was bizarre. But we've seen that. Pocock did it last year versus Ireland. Yeah. Uh, we, we've seen it in lineouts, plenty of time in lineouts. You know, don't join the lineout, go around the outside. It's just, I'm really surprised by the outburst by England. It's like, it's like the underarm. It's, they're just, they can't get their head around it. No. No, it, it, it was really, really strange. And like I say, the I guess the thing, like I said, probably the bigger thing to take out of this is that they couldn't adapt. Um, and how, how, like, you know, a world-dominant team like they are at the moment couldn't do that, especially when they're, you know, renowned for their forward play. It was really strange. And, and what you noticed was they kept having these rucks and there'd be four of them in there defending the ball like crazy, which is clearly the Jones pattern of play he wanted. And, you know, hats off to Conor O'Shea, the... Um, Italian yep. coach, he'd obviously spotted it a mile away. Yep, indeed. All right, um, let's move. Matt, uh, Hugh, sorry, did you want to bring up anything there? Are you happy to move on? Uh, happy to move on. I think it's, look, I, I, I see your point. I, England should have been smart enough, but it, it, I wouldn't be losing too much sleep if they changed that law. I mean, it's just a little bit silly. It doesn't make much sense to me. And, and look, I, I, I'm not going to uh, excuse Eddie Jones for a second or the England team for a second in what they did. And I think I'll applaud Italy as well for exploiting the rules that were there. But I don't know. You look at it and you go, is that, is that you know, is that in, in what we want in our game? And does that alienate general fans? It probably does. And I think it's probably a little bit, 
you know, a little bit of a loophole there that I, I wouldn't mind seeing closed because well, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm a pretty hardcore rugby rules guy. And we, even for we me, we don't I'm, need more rules in the rule book. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm keen to keep it. I like it. I like smarts. Mate, well, mate, um, that that rule kept, uh, you know, yeah, kept what's his name, uh, Richie McCaw, and every New Zealand troll in the game for about 10 years. Yeah. Because that was the one that he used on everything. Was It was, you know, it was... Exactly. It was, wasn't yeah. a ruck, so I'm, I'm around the yeah. other side. Watch me here, you know. <laughs> wasn't a ruck, so I'm packing in your second row. All that sort of stuff. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Uh, all right, last question of the night. So, I think everyone's caught up with the news. James O'Connor, Ali Williams charged with various cocaine offensive. Ali for purchasing at James for, for holding. I guess the big question is out of this, is, is his career over? Hugh Cavill, what do you think? It is not over, Rich. No. It's not over. Yeah. Condoning um, drugs here, Hugh. <laughs> Bloody Gen Y. No, not at all. Not at all. This is a family-friendly podcast, uh, as, as we'd all know. So, um, it, it uh, look, I think it's it's he's still very young. He's he's This is not a defense of James O'Connor. I think what he did was incredibly stupid um, for, a, um, for a person who just – completed something of a publicity tour through Australia for the for the Brisbane Tens and showing us how much he'd matured, how much he'd changed and how much he was ready to come home. To go and do that is um is well phenomenally stupid. Phenomenally stupid. Um and so look it wouldn't it wouldn't um it wouldn't bother me at all to see him never return, but I think he's still what, twenty five, twenty six? Twenty seven, yeah. Twenty seven. Um yeah. and I think Anything, uh, the scandals across league and not so much union, but certainly, well, certainly in regards to a few players in union, but more in league and, and, and other sports, I think we've got pretty short memories. And I think if a player's good enough to play at the top level, a scandal will keep them out of the game for, for one year, maybe two. But um, ultimately, um, teams are so desperate for success these days that they're willing to overlook a lot of things. And so uh, if O'Connor can get himself get himself right and that's a big if and if he can get his game back right it, it, it wouldn't particularly surprise me to see in a couple of years time him pick up a contract um pick up a contract with it with a super rugby team but all of, all of these stories we're seeing the Matt Gittos and not that I'm comparing the two necessarily but these guys that we thought their careers were over and coming back two three four years later and still contributing um at not only super level, but test level. So, look, I think O'Connor could come back when he's 33. You know, in, in six years, he'll go and play in Japan, he'll play in France, he'll he'll do this. But, I mean, he's still he's still an idiot for uh, for yes. what he did. But um, I'm, not, I'm not willing to... I, I don't... It wouldn't completely surprise me to see him come back at some point. Yeah, I can't see him playing in Australia. You know, I, I just can't see anyone putting up with him at, at any level, even in six years' time. Particularly here, because we're going to have one less team uh, in Super Rugby, so there'll be less opportunity for. <laughs> Who it. knows? Uh, we might have we might have five more. Yeah. <laughs> we exactly South African teams playing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, as for France, I don't know. There's rumours that Toulon are going to cut him, and then I think his contract's up in July, and they don't want him. But then others today suggesting he might hang around. It's the bit of the story that I find most amusing is that. He so the story is Ali was in the back of the car with the drug dealers buying doing the sale and and James O'Connor was outside keeping watch just to make sure they didn't get caught. <laughs> well done, James. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fun job here, mate. Um, but anyway, so look, dumb and dumb. So I, you know, I, I I don't think we'll see him back. I'll be interested to see where he plays. I'm sure he'll end up somewhere, but yeah. he might give uh, what NFL a trial. Well, I thought I thought 
the career was done already, to be honest. Um, yeah. But uh, before this happened. But here's a question for you. What's worse, drink driving, where you could, uh, you know, wipe out another family? Yep. Uh, or run, yep. Someone, or run a kid over? Um, or Which, by the way, Dan Carter got done for in Paris yep. only a week or two ago. And it's pretty hard to get done for drink driving in France. Um, so, yeah, is that... Which is better or worse, that or, you know, taking cocaine for private use? Um, private use, absolutely. not in team out. Yeah, I agree. That's a, that's, that's a pretty damn good question. I agree. Yeah, and yet, you know, this guy's ruined his career and da-da-da, never play again. And yet, Dan Carter, oh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, what a silly boy. Um, yeah, know. but it's 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 James O'Connor, though, you know, if it was... And I'm not saying at all, I don't want to cast aspersions on the following players, but if it was someone like Luke Jones or Hugh Pyle or one of those guys playing over there and they had been arrested for this, not that I've, I'm we're all saying that they, they do this at all, but if, if they'd have been arrested, it, I don't think it'd be a story. You'd go, oh, well, you know, made a mistake, you know, it's, it's you know, shrug, you know, move on, learn from it and move on. But O'Connor's got, you know, O'Connor's got, it's O'Connor. You know, yeah, exactly. You, exactly. It's James O'Connor. Look, look at his hair. <laughs> exactly. The, the whole thing. It's the whole thing. Dan Dan Carter. You know, his career's over, and even Arlie Williams in this career's over. You know, they're not. They're they're, they're there for a holiday anyway. They're there for a paid vacation in France. And and yep, they've they've made mistakes, and that's should be punished accordingly. But O'Connor still wants to play for the Wallabies. He's still trying yeah, to spruik no. himself around super teams. I mean, what a what an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think Carter's actually even still playing well for for racing or racing, um, whereas Icon, I think, is still a bit of a bits player for Toulon. So there's not much of, a, of an argument to keep him in the game over there, unfortunately. Um, look, guys, we're going to wrap up those questions. I want to do quickly have a look at round two uh, before we wrap up the podcast without going into detail every game. But let's go do a quick... Um, tip for each of the Aussie games. So Thursday night, rugby's back again this week and the Force are hosting the Reds. Hugh, uh, what's your call there? What My call is, why is this game on a Thursday? I think is there's a Justin Bieber concert, ironically enough. I think there's a Justin Bieber concert on in Perth on Monday night, so the stadium wasn't going to be ready, so they had to play it early. Oh, OK. Cause it, I geez, think that's the, the Force... case. If the force have pick up a few injuries, Bieber might find himself playing on playing in the on the outside <laughs> back somewhere. But um, the the there you go. Well, I don't know why this is on a thir- nine thirty on a Thursday. It's not exactly ideal time. But um, and we've got no games on the Friday. Be that as it may. Um, look, I don't know. Uh, the force showed some pretty good signs yeah. in in that game, and and um, the Kurt Rona and and um. Uh, John Lance and and they've got some pretty handy backs for the first time. You're looking at that force backline going, oh, these guys might actually do something here as opposed to just sort of run outside Peter Grant and and chase after his high balls. It's it's you know the, they're still missing Matty Hodgson, um, but they're fielding a pretty competitive side. Uh, look, I'll I'll tip the Reds, but um, but the force wouldn't surprise me if they if they got up here, not at all. Yeah, I'm worried about this one big time. I, I'm. They're a bit of a bogey team of ours, and we're travelling over there. I, I, I'll hope we'll get up, but I'm, I'm, I'm wary. Matt, any thoughts? Which way? No, look, uh, oh, so, go on then. I'm going to give the force a win. I'm going to say they're going okay. to, you know, yep. they, but, but I read it the same way. I think it's going to be, yep. I think it's a tight one. Yeah, and, and so just running through some of these other games, and it's amazing. You, you talk earlier, and going back to your point about the structure of the competition, Hugh, is, you know, who looks forward to an Australian derby? But on the flip side, 
these New Zealand derbies are just epic. So we've got the Chiefs playing the Blues um, and we've got the Highlanders playing the Crusaders and two amazing games. The poor Rebels off the back of getting beaten badly by the Blues have now got to travel across the ditch and play the Hurricanes. So um, no one's picking the Rebels that one, I assume? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Right, what, about, what about the Sharks off their loss to the Reds travelling down to Canberra take on the Brumbies? Uh, Matt, what do you think? The Brumbies can uh, hold off there? Yeah, they showed a lot last weekend, I thought. Um, so, look, and oh, you know, this is a South African team. I've got absolutely no idea how they're playing uh, or how they've been travelling for the last... Uh, two years. So, um, yeah, I'm going to give it to the Rubbies. Few, any different there? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I am, broadly speaking, down on Australian teams this year. Yep. I'm going to use that as a tipping and betting strategy, which has already paid some dividends. But <laughs> So, look, I'll tip, I'll tip the Sharks here because I actually don't think the Sharks are that bad. And, and the Brumbies' record at home is not fantastic either. So, look, I will tip the Sharks, but look, obviously cheering hard for the Brumbies. Yeah, yeah I'll tip the Brumbies there. I think they might just do it. Um, here's an interesting one. Sunwolves versus the Kings. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a tip there, but they that might be a fairly close one. We'll see. Oh, uh, that's, actually in, yeah. that might, that's actually in Singapore, so uh, we'll see what happens there. So, more uh, then, irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, Waratah's travelling over to South Africa and they take on the Lions late on Saturday night. Really interesting one, this one, given the Lions' form last year. Um, and they, I think they got up over the Cheetahs last week, did they not? Um, Hugh, uh, what's your thoughts there? Well, the Tars have got two games over in South Africa. They've got the Lions this week and the Sharks next week. And yep. I think they'd be very, very happy to come away with one from two. Yep. So, look, I have a feeling that they've probably got a better chance next week with the Sharks coming back from Canberra. Um, but, you know, if you could take it now, the Lions, look, Lions are grand finalists and, and yeah. had a win last week. So I think a f uh, pretty formidable opponent. So I'd be I'd be tipping the Lions there. And the Tars looking like still could be without Bernard Foley, who's, who hasn't quite passed his concussion test yet. Mm, okay. Matt, any different? No, I think yeah, you'd have to go with the Lions there. Yeah, I'll go there too. The other two games around, the Stormers hosting the Jaguars and the Cheetahs. Uh, hosting the Blues, uh, the Bulls, sorry. So but, that wraps up Super Rugby Week 2. Yeah, and can I just restate that if there's any better summary of where we are in Super Rugby is the Sunwolves playing the Kings in Singapore. That, yeah, that, yeah. That, you know, yeah, if you, yeah. We have reached peak Super Rugby. In or, front of... Yeah, no one will be watching that game at all on TV or at the ground. Anyway. Yeah, exactly right. All right, <laughs> and, and look, just to wrap up, Guys, we, we missed last week's podcast. I didn't get a, a real chance to to um, talk about Dan Vickerman and we, we won't go into too much because a lot's been written and a lot's been said and a lot of um, uh, very worthwhile comments has been out there. I did want to make mention that on the weekend up in Brisbane, Sydney Uni uh, played Queensland University um, uh, in the lead-up to the Australian Club Championships. They're both the club teams that Vicks played for uh, when he was in Australia, actually started his career at Queensland University, played in the lock with a young guy called Nathan Sharp before heading down to Sydney. Um, but I just thought there's a, there's a great photo, and I think it's on one of our blog posts of uh, the Sydney Uni, Uni retired the number five jersey and instead just put the big V there. 
um, which was a, a wonderful uh, memory and a wonderful thought. And this podcast will come out uh, late Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning for those that listen to it. And if you're in Sydney tomorrow at Sydney Uni Oval, uh, so this is Wednesday afternoon, uh, at about 2 p.m. there is the memorial service for Dan Dennett City University. So once again, um, uh, all our thoughts to, to Vicks and his family and friends at this tough time. And remind everyone if they if they need to chat, to get out there and chat. There's uh, plenty of helplines, but also just uh, reach out to your friends, guys. It's uh, it's important. Valet Vicks. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Uh, sorry to end the podcast on a downer, but um, great show tonight, guys. Hugh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, uh, let's let's hope we can have some Aussie victories next week. We've got yeah. one at least. We've got a guaranteed derby, so that's a bit of a relief. We'll have someone we can talk about. Love a derby, Matt. Thanks for your time, mate. Yeah, mate. This is the last one because I've just I've retired. I just remember. <laughs> I remember all the stuff that happened last year. <laughs> and time good out. Good stuff. No, good to be here. All right, guys, and and all our listeners, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll speak to you again next week. I can't say. I am the referee. I'm not the coach.